This podcast is brought to you by BrunerAcademy.com, your online resource for the best public speaking, presentation, storytelling skills courses. Become a rock star communicator in any setting. Visit BrunerAcademy.com. At the age of five, my guest went from being an outgoing, confident little boy to someone who was shy, introverted, unable to make friends, to believing there was something wrong with him. But thanks to an experience teaching English to a group of Tibetan monks, he found his voice and now teaches others to find theirs. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. And I am delighted to introduce to you Richard Newman. Richard, welcome to my podcast. Thanks, Liz. It's great to be here with you. Well, Richard and I recently learned of one another's stories and our work. And so thank you for saying yes for being on my show. Both of us in our line of work hear people say, I'm terrified of public speaking. And I know you can personally relate to that. You admit that you went from being this expressive child to a shy introvert to an awkward teenager to self-conscious adult. What happened, Richard? (laughs) For me, it's been a bit of a journey and somewhat an unlikely journey which I like to share because if people have something that is a dream or an ambition for themselves to do something that seems somewhat unlikely for them to achieve, then I, I, you know, I hope this message could inspire them because at the age of four, just turning five years old, I was having a great time at school. I had some friends. I felt settled where I was. And then my parents moved house and I then went to live in this new area, go to a new school, try and make some new friends and really struggled with it. I, I went in and was trying to talk to kids around the classroom and found that I just wasn't able to connect with anybody. And I really didn't understand why. And the only way I can describe it well is that it felt like living in a glass bubble, looking out at the other kids and seeing that they were connecting. And I felt I was doing the same thing as them, but just wasn't able to make it work. And so felt incredibly lonely. Over the course of the next few years, I would go through that phase of being you know, socially awkward, which I'm sure many people can relate to. But I didn't realize until I was 44 that, in fact, I am high-functioning autistic, which means that I was missing out on the kind of social cues that create that, that glue in conversation and in building relationships. Around the age of 16, I then read a book on body language by Alan Pease, which someone gifted me as a birthday present. And it was, it was like the Holy Grail. Reading it, I, I learned stuff that I had no idea about. Uh, I was utterly fascinated by, but I then also got struck with that confusion of thinking, well, wait a second, does everybody else understand this? Because if they all understand this, and this is new information to me, there's no way that I'm ever going to get better at this. It struck me for one reason or another that being able to be good at communication was something I was going to have to work on. There was no way that I was going to succeed in life or in relationships, in a career without having good communication skills. And so I decided to go off to live in a Tibetan monastery, which was up in the foothills of the Himalayas. And there I was living with these guys who didn't speak a word of English when I arrived. And so I had to use my body language and tone of voice to connect with them. By the end of six months, they'd learned how to speak English. I learned how to speak Nepali, which was the main language of the area that I was in, and came back fascinated by body language, communication, realizing that body language particularly is so much more than most people think it is. When you look at the celebrity magazines, you look on the TV, often people talk about body language as, you know, if someone scratches their nose, it means they're lying. 
or if somebody folds their arms, it means they're rejecting you. And, and actually, none of those things are true. You've got to look at the whole package. Mm -hmm. You've really got to look at a cluster. Since then, I ended up teaching it through my company you know, over these past decades now, been lucky enough to train over 100,000 people teaching communication, even though communication was my biggest challenge to begin <laughs> with. It really is extraordinary. And I want to come back to that pivotal moment in your life when you went to India to work with those monks, because you had never taught English before. And here you, you took a crash course to try and learn how to do that. But in, in retrospect, that, none of that worked, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I barely speak good English these days. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's not like I was brilliant with grammar or really understood my language. I'd learned how to break down and build up a sentence in French and German, but I'd never really done that with English. So it wasn't like I was a master in that subject. And so I, I got given a one week crash course in how to teach English as a foreign language. And they were teaching us then you know, how to use a blackboard and how to get a new group of students to break the ice and get to know each other uh, and various other pieces, none of which was useful because <laughs> when I arrived there, we didn't have a blackboard and the monks had known each other for many, many years. But the one piece that was really useful for about 20 minutes, we did an activity where the person who was leading this course, she said, I'm going to speak to you in Chinese, only in Chinese. And by the end of this, you will know 10 words of Chinese. But she taught us just using her body language and her tone of voice. And sure enough, by the end of the exercise, we had 10 words in Chinese we understood perfectly well. And that stayed with me. And that really was the way in of thinking, if I am totally congruent with my body language and my tone of voice and my words, if they all match, people will understand me. At the core of it, if we have congruency, we can be more charismatic. We can be more impactful, more engaging for people to speak to. That's when you really are able to connect with people authentically. What I find so fascinating, though, also, besides what you're just talking about, because we have similar philosophies about that, which is wonderful, is that it still had to be a bit of a challenge for you. And if I may be so bold as to say, you had a British stiff upper upbringing, did you not? <laughs> how do, you, how do yeah. you connect those dots of that kind of an upbringing to having to be using your voice and using your body so that people can really understand you. You're right. For being a British male, we're absolutely taught to have stiff upper lip, don't talk about your emotions, don't express things. When I came back from working with the monks, I then went to a London acting school. Yes. Most people think you go there and you wear a pair of tights and pretend to be a tree and do some Shakespeare <laughs> and then you get a diploma. But instead of that, what we did was we learned how to sit and how to stand and how to walk, how to breathe, how to move in a way that would express a story and have an impact on the other actors and the audience. And so I was really fascinated, particularly by a Canadian teacher whose name was Ed Clark. And he would talk to us about nonverbal leakage, which is where you could do something in act one of the play, even if you weren't the main character speaking. Two hours later, an audience would find out that actually you were the person who did the murder. And they think, oh, yes, I know it, because there was something that he was doing two hours ago that I sort of spotted in the back of my subconscious, and now I know why. I loved all of that, the ability to express yourself beyond words. That was a hugely empowering journey. But anybody out there, if your child shows an interest in acting, it doesn't mean that they're going to have no skills to offer in anyone in business or a difficult career. It actually means they're going to gain skills that so few people have to be able to express themselves, to have that presence and storytelling which is critical in so many careers. 
I love that. And and I love that we both practice and preach this because it speaks to so much that your communication skills really are what can take you to the next level in life in any situation, personally or professionally. So now here we are 20 plus years later, you're called a natural at public speaking. (laughs) And now you're helping other people learn their communication skills with being the founder of UK Body Talk. Your first client was a Formula One racing team. And I love this story. What did you teach them? Essentially, they came to us, and this was an unusual project, different to the sort of projects that we do these days. They came to us because they were struggling in situations where they were taking this very complex script, which was all about the science and the technicalities of how you build the world's fastest race car. And at the time, they weren't winning. These sponsors would come in to their headquarters to talk to them and say, look, when are you going to start winning some races? They gave us this 20-page technical script that had been legally approved that we needed to share. We then would deliver this for these VIPs. The piece that we really learned in this experience is that I took this script and personally delivered it over a thousand times. So just imagine that. Imagine doing a two-hour talk that is incredibly complex and delivering that same talk to a thousand different audiences a thousand times over the space of five years. And, And what this opportunity gave me was, first of all, we were delivering it, getting better engagement than people who'd been working at that Formula One team for years. And we were quite surprised by this, thinking, well, you know, we're, we're the new guys uh, here helping you out on this. And we had to really regroup as a team and say, what is it that we are doing where we're managing to get a round of applause 20 minutes into our presentation and they are struggling to get a round of applause at all? Because if we figure this out, then we can start to teach it and help other people with communication. Over the course of that thousand deliveries I gave, every day I gave myself a mission to think, is there one way in which I can improve this, a slight change I can make in my body language, in my tone of voice, because I couldn't change the words. And I found that many of the things I tried, many of the things in books that I'd read just didn't work. They didn't do anything. They worked maybe in a laboratory experiment, but they just didn't work when you had a live audience in front of you. But then I started to find there were things that worked that worked with every audience, every time, no matter their background or their age, whatever industry they were coming in from. And that's where I started to build up this toolkit of techniques that I thought, okay, this is working every time I can then take this and teach it to the clients. What I love about that story too, and you talk about it in your book, You Were Born to Speak, is that you had been delivering the same content in some respects, that same script that others had been delivering. But when you did it, they would come back and say, that was the best speech ever. And it came down to how you delivered the message, the, the tone of your voice, the picture that you created in people's minds, your body language, and all of that coming together. And that's what makes mm. it so special. In your book, talking about you finding your voice and getting over your own crushing fear of public speaking, and you talked about a moment ago that important diagnosis that really only happened recently at the age of 44 of being a high-functioning autistic. Did that come as a surprise to you? I mean, after all these years to now go, oh, aha, this is what's been going on. Yeah, a huge surprise to me. And also a surprise to you know, family members and people that I work with is that back in the 1980s, if you were diagnosed as having autism, it was very different. It was only severe autism and quite often nonverbal autistic. And so it's very clear, much clearer to see those people spot who it might be. 
more recently, it was around about 2010, when they decided to expand this into this very broad autistic spectrum disorder, ASD. Under that, they were then taking in a lot of things that would be diagnosed differently in the past. It's actually my wife who spotted this. She said, you know, you, you might want to take a look at this. And, and funnily, I sort of brushed it off. We had, in fact, friends who came over for dinner one day who were talking about, you know, there, there was some autism in their family. They were doing a test themselves just to see if it might be the case for them. Over dinner, we got it up on a laptop, this online test you could take. It was about 100 questions or something. The score that you could get was somewhere from 0 to 50. And if you got a score between 40 to 50, then it meant that you were neurotypical. And my score was 5 out of 50. And it said if you get a score between 0 to 10, then you really should get diagnosed to see if you have autism. And then I met a lady who deals with coaching communication skills for children who are in their first couple of years of school. And she said that it's 90% of children and uh, therefore people who will have no problems with communication, about 2.5% that have a challenge that is going to be with them long term, such as permanent hearing loss. And there's another 7.5% of people who will have a challenge that they need to deal with. And if they deal with it, then they can build up skills and they may get to the point of being able to communicate the same as the rest. And after I interviewed her for my podcast, I, I was driving her back to the train station and I said, from what you said, I think I'm in that group. Mm -hmm. And she said, no, you can't be. You, you teach communication, you go on stage. <laughs> you, you, you know, there's no way. And I said, yeah, well, let's just go through the questions again. And she said, by the time I dropped her off, she said, yeah, I think you are in that group. You really should go and get a, a diagnosis. So many things over the last four decades are now making more sense. Yeah. I'm really glad that I've got the diagnosis. And I encourage people, that, you know, if you think it might be you, to go and find an expert. But also, I like to say to people that, you know, it doesn't have to be a limiting factor. For me, I actually see it as a superpower. I feel very blessed that I have mild, high-functioning autism. For me, what it means is that I see communication very differently to other people. And so when I see somebody communicating, I'll look at the different blocks and pieces of communication that need to be there for success. And if one of them is missing, then I can spot it much more easily and then help somebody with that piece because I've had to build all of those building blocks myself. So if one of them wasn't there, then I'm suddenly more aware of it. What I think interesting about that also is that as a child growing up, you found all kinds of ways to compensate for what we now know was probably your autism, but you found ways to communicate just so that you could function. Mm. You came up with creative ways. As you think back on that, now, I mean, yes, you can connect the dots, but you were really quite brilliant in figuring out how to communicate back then. Oh, yeah, thank you. And I will say, you know, people do develop kind of coping strategies thinking, well, what am I going to do? And women generally, more so than men, can be very good at building up these coping strategies such that it's, it's much harder for a woman to get diagnosed, much less likely to be diagnosed. One of the areas for me that, that was so important was getting involved in acting. So I loved acting all the way through school. The reason I loved it is that in day-to-day -day life, if you're socializing, then you have to figure out, okay, what do I say? Um, where am I supposed <laughs> to look? Where do I stand? What do I do so that people don't think that I'm odd in some way? Because I, I got those glances from people occasionally thinking, the way you're behaving is not the way that other people are behaving. Whereas when you act, and particularly what I would love is doing a musical, because you know it exactly what to say, where to stand, when to move your leg with the choreography, which pitch your voice is supposed to be on. The, the entire thing is covered. And suddenly I had this ability to completely and utterly express myself. It was a freeing, a very freeing experience. And people would be so surprised 
coming to see me doing a show thinking, hang on a second, what happened to the guy that is normally hiding in the corner and not saying a word to anybody? Now he's really open and expressive. Uh, and again, I, I would encourage parents, you know, if you have a child who is maybe struggling to connect or that you want to flourish in life, give them that opportunity to find their voice. I'm so pleased that I got to do that. It is really transformational for a child to stand on stage and watch a thousand people get on their feet and clap their hands based mm -hmm. on hearing your voice. Absolutely. Well, of course, now you have found your voice. You are a keynote speaker. You have a couple of podcasts, one called Body Talk, and your newest one is called Lift. And each one is slightly different. Tell us about both. The Body Talk podcast is something where we talk about communication with communication experts from around the world, be it sort of storytelling or sometimes talking about conflict resolution, negotiation experts, body language, virtual presenting, all of these different pieces that make up communication. More recently, I've done this new series called Lift. And so the big message I have for people on this is first, if you want to lift other people, if you are a manager, a leader, or you're a parent, or you're just trying to be a good friend to someone, if you want to lift them, you've got to lift yourself first. You can't go in completely depleted and aim to resolve a major conflict that's happening in your company or an argument that's happening with your children. So you need to lift yourself first and find ways to do that very quickly. You know, if you think about a teacher who maybe inspired you, or if you think about maybe a grandparent who you enjoyed spending time with, it could be because they wanted to lift you, that they saw greatness within you. They said, I believe you can do this. And suddenly we find ourselves when somebody says that thinking, really? I feel like I want to live up to this version of me that this person sees because that's who I want to be now. And even if the person doesn't change immediately, they'll leave the meeting having great respect for you, thinking despite the stress of this situation, they held themselves with an admirable way of behaving. And I feel like they really saw me. They saw something within me and I want to be better the next time I see them. Mm. To me, what you're talking about is not only are you living your best life, but you're helping other individuals be able to live their best life. And I love that about the work you're doing. If you would like to learn more about Richard, the work he's doing, and his wonderful book, You Were Born to Speak, I read it over the weekend, loved it, just go to his website, ukbodytalk.com. That's UK as in the United Kingdom, ukbodytalk.com. Richard, so happy to have you on the show today. Thank you for sharing your story with us and truly reminding all of us that communication is so important and we are never too old to learn and grow. Thank you, Liz. I really enjoyed that. You've got such a great voice and you've just got such a great uh, way about you that it's just a pleasure to be interviewed by you. And thanks to all of you for listening in today. I invite you to write a review, share this episode with your friends. I love hearing from you. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.